Last time on that creepy podcast. Jory, it's Lawrence. I got your call about wanting to get into John Smith's house again, and something about Poe. Anyway, I called the sheriff to try to see if I could work something out, and he told me, well, I've got bad news. Apparently it burned down last night. You need to call me back soon. Bye. The night following the tragic news of John Smith's house was quiet. Even with the smoke rising over the trees, the police hadn't made a statement regarding the fire, and nobody was talking about it. A first for the people of Harker. There was almost a feeling of relief in the town. The weird nuisance was gone. I called the sheriff the morning after I received Lawrence's message, but he only told me the fire had broken out the previous day and had been so well contained they hadn't wanted to distress the town. But that didn't stop me from seeing those woods every time I closed my eyes and smelling the smoke in the air, making it harder to separate my dream from reality. Had there been smoke on the morning I'd gone to John's property? Had I been so loopy on so little sleep that I hadn't noticed? I guess fire can make any situation feel more dramatic. Didn't want to alarm people, huh? That's what he said. You talked to him before I did. He didn't tell you the same thing? No, although he was too busy trying to get me off the phone. It wasn't a fun conversation for either of us. Okay then. I just wanted to check in. Update you. Sorry to bother. Don't. Maybe you should back off this whole thing. I don't even know how to respond to that. Obviously I'm not going to, and you don't have any grounds to say something like that to me. Why? Look, it's nothing personal. I don't know you enough for it to be personal. But things are getting worse, and I have a hunch this isn't a situation a civilian should be involved in. Maybe the sheriff was right. Oh, watch your mouth. We don't say stuff like that. There's no we. Excuse me. You and I. No. Okay, partner. Okay. I've said my piece. Just don't die. I need that letter. I'll leave it for you on my Will McComfrey. Not funny. I'm going now. search of one missing person, the remnants of corrupted reputation, and the darkness of our hometowns. This is That Creepy Podcast. You might have found something. Better hide it then. Time's up. You have company. Thanks for listening.
The rest of my week was as close to normal as I could make it. I woke up at 7 every day and was at the library by 8. Like normal. I packed a Greek yogurt and spinach salad for lunch. Like normal. I think it was this need for normalcy that kept me from reading more of John's books or exploring the records room he had spent so much time in in the weeks leading up to his disappearance. But they never left the corner of my mind. That dark, cramped room was always there. I scolded myself partway through the week for being such a scaredy cat, but the dreams hadn't stopped, so I labeled my fear as caution. Shamefully, aside from the call to Lawrence regarding Sheriff Davidson, I was avoiding him too, when he'd done nothing but help me. Broken rules and protocol for me. Instead, I kept myself busy that week, updating the catalog while at the library and drinking tea while at home all while either being stared down by the door to the records room or the stack of John's books in the corner of my living room. But you can only avoid the inevitable for so long, right? And what about the poem? The one by Edgar Allan Poe? Did that fit into any of this, or was I just looking for signs that aren't there? Any excuse to still believe that John wasn't mauled by a bear or something miles off in the woods? There was no telling for sure if John ripped out that page. Maybe we just hadn't checked the book's condition in a while. Was I creating trails to nowhere? I think I was settled in the city before he arrived, but I could be wrong. Either way, don't remember even seeing him. After transferring to the APD, not much shocks me anymore. Sad to hear he's gone missing, though. They're probably getting ready to presume him dead. Really? Missing over three weeks with no leads? Oh, yeah. Maybe that's good. I can't get in trouble for interfering with a case if there isn't one. Oh, man, I'd pay good money to see the look on Jillian and Gordon's faces when they found out about this obsession. This is worse than that time you were reeling to falconry. Seriously, that's what's missing from Atlanta. Falconry's missing? No, our uptight, fucked-up family. Jory! Long time no talk. How can I haunt you today? Oh, God, Morgan, is that a pun? I'm hanging up. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Just a little mortician humor. Uh, Really, though, what's up? You haven't been by the coroner's office in a while. Have you had any, um, unidentified bodies come in recently? Oh, God, no. You would have heard about it. You still looking for that Smith fella or whatever? Word around the street is you're ruffling some important feathers. Not sure which feathers you're talking about, but the answer is probably yes. Oh, one last question. You haven't noticed anything weird in Harker, have you? Oh, Jory, you should know not to ask those questions. What do you mean? (sighs) You pure soul. Just you, the pyro girl, popping back into town could count as weird, depending on who you ask. Did you see Sheriff Davidson on Channel 11? He says we haven't had a missing person case in 20 years. Bullshit. People just don't report it, or they ask for it to be kept off the record. In the seven years I've worked with my dad, I've been denied access to multiple bodies with mysterious deaths. They're good friends, you know, my dad and Sheriff Davidson. As far as my dad's concerned, if the sheriff says it's a natural death, it's a natural death. Is that legal? Uh, Doesn't matter. The point is that it happens. Death is inevitable anywhere, and it's definitely inevitable here sort of ominous in that way. And honestly, that is what keeps my job interesting. Wow, okay. Uh, Thanks for the input, I guess. No problem. Hey, what's Dora been up to? She hasn't come around in months. (sighs) 
Same as always. You can ask her yourself. Wait, didn't you guys break up like a year ago? Yeah, doesn't mean she hasn't visited the office since then. And she never gave me her number, so... Tell her my door is always open. I'll mention you said hi. Thanks, Jor. See ya! Morgan had left me confused and uneasy, sure, but I also felt like I'd unlocked something. This whole thing had started as a search for John Smith, but more and more I was realizing I couldn't ignore the town itself. If nothing else, the conversation lit a fire under me to explore what few leads I did have. Unfortunately, the universe had other plans. It's Saturday. I've been home most of the day going through more of John's reserved book list. I went to take a shower right after the sun went down. You know, I don't have great eyes, so I figured that was a good time to take a break. And when I got out, I saw police lights through my curtains. Thankfully, my lights were all off, so the officers on my lawn don't think I'm home. I guess they must have rung the doorbell while I was in the shower, so they're all just standing around now, waiting to greet me. Probably. There's one, two, three police cars, and I swear half of the Harker police force just standing on my lawn. And no, 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 you monsters. Don't step on my black eyed Susans. Oh, shit, one of them's locking up now. They must have seen me. Shit, shit. Marjorie Bradford, open the door. Make me, Franklin. For the love of God, Jory, we're getting a search warrant as we speak. Don't make this harder, and it's Officer Downs to you. What's all this about? You were seen on John Smith's property two hours before a fire broke out and consumed 80% of the- Spit it out, Franklin. This is not the time to be long-winded. Marjorie Bradford, you're under arrest for arson, tampering with a crime scene, and possible obstruction of justice. Are you serious? Oh, and your parents have been called. Oh my god. How do you turn off this gadget? The middle button. No, the middle- Okay, your little thing is on, now talk. I didn't set the fire. Then how do you know about it? Like I said, Lawrence told me. Not to mention all the smoke. He's got a mouth on him, doesn't he? I should have tried harder to keep you two apart. You were seen on John Smith's property just hours before the fire. Care to explain that? I... I had a dream. A suspicion. I needed to confirm it. Quit being vague. I'm an officer of the law, Miss Bradford. I currently hold your future in my hands. Your father would have no problem with me putting you away, so I'd be straight with me if I were you. <sighs> You've been put on leave from the library until this is processed. At least tell me this, are you having sleep problems again? Yes, but I didn't start the fire. Not this time. Is there anything we can do to- I don't need help. Your parents have been called, and you get one phone call to anyone else. We searched your house and didn't find any solid evidence that you actually started the fire, but you'll be held in the cell until someone comes to bail you out. Use that time to think, why don't you? After hearing that conversation between me and Sheriff Davidson, I'm sure you have questions, and I'd like to briefly answer those questions. So, let me tell you a story. I grew up in Harker, 
and up until I moved to New York City for college, my entire life was here. Well, the summer before I left for college, there was a string of small fires. Although no one was hurt, the damage was growing, and people were getting scared. Then one night, the Delks farm just outside of town went up in flames. And not little flames. True, towering flames. The fire department arrived to handle the situation. The police arrived to catch their arsonist. But there, standing dangerously close to the blaze, miles away from my home, in my pajamas with no transportation in sight, was me. Just watching. One of the firemen woke me up, took me home, and it was never spoken of again. No charges were made at all, actually. I later checked myself into a sleep clinic and was diagnosed with a type of parasomnia called somnambulism. That's a fancy way of saying chronic sleepwalking. But when I moved to New York City a few months later, the sleepwalking stopped completely. I stayed in that tiny single cell pacing for over two hours until someone came to get me. Franklin came and led me out to the waiting room of the station where Dora was sitting with a Ziploc back of my stuff. She glared at Franklin with her arms crossed and an anger that could have turned him to ash. In the moment, I wished he had. She thanked him for serving and protecting in a tone thick with condescension. Franklin undid the handcuffs I'd been living in, then Dora grabbed me by the shoulders protectively and ushered me out of the building. She drove me home and explained that my father had gotten to the station at the same time as her, which had unleashed an argument between them and Franklin over whose custody I'd be released into. Dora had clearly won, ending the story with, I don't like to play nice with pricks. I didn't ask which prick she was talking about. She bought me food, helped turn upright some of the furniture the cops had toppled, and left me to sleep the day off. Or so she thought. By 1 a.m., I was at the library. I'm walking to the records room right now. The sheriff didn't think to take my keys, so I was able to get in without any issue. And thank God nobody in this town thinks to have an alarm system. But I can't turn on any lights in case someone passes by and sees them. I'm not gonna lie, the library after hours has always freaked me out. There's always dark corners that can't seem to catch light in the daytime, but at night, it's like the whole building is one dark corner. I have a flashlight, but it doesn't really help. Okay, here we are. The door swung inward as if pulled, and the windowless room was dark. Definitely darker than the main room of the library. I walked down each aisle, using my flashlight to see each row of dusty records, looking for anything out of the ordinary. Nobody went in the records room unless absolutely necessary. Partially because it was niche, and also because it was boring and dusty. And lonely. I had once asked my coworker Becky why she always asked me to run errands into that room, and she had responded, because I don't like feeling lonely, and I don't like feeling watched, and somehow in there I feel both. I extended the beam down another row and saw that one of the books had been put back backwards. I pulled it out halfway and noticed dark brown smudges marking the cover. Oh, that scared me. A blocked number in the middle of the night? Hey, this is Jory speaking. Hide. What? You should hide. There were footsteps in the library. They were coming closer. Oh my god. Was it the cops? Had someone seen me come in and reported it? I threw myself on the opposite side of the bookcase, furthest from the door. Beams from two flashlights scanned the shelves. 
I covered my mouth to quiet my breathing, willing myself to disappear. The beam swept away from the room. The footsteps retreated. I don't think that was the police. I waited there for two hours after I heard the front door close, not daring to move a muscle. Then got my shaking legs under me and ran the two miles home, not daring to slow down, even for a second. Creepy Podcast is a bi-weekly podcast produced and written by Theodora. Edited by Seth Johnson. Music by Theodora. Special thanks to voice actors Katie Collier, Joseph Teagle, Trent Mayo, Amy Collier, Matthew Harper, Ian Collier, and Nathaniel Curtis. Find us on Instagram at That Creepy Podcast. And thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Something. Better hide it then. Time's up. You have company.